Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, let's, uh, let's now stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to 2 Samuel, and we'll pick up in chapter 1, verse 17. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher, Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. O mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain be on you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. For the blood of the slain from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How have the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. How have the mighty fallen? And the weapons of war perished. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So Saul is dead. Saul's sons are all dead at this point. And you remember last time we we went over the Amalekite coming and reporting how Saul died. Of course, he was lying. He was not telling the truth. He was making up, uh, making up a story, probably because he thought it would put put the king in his debt, or uh, he would get some sort of favor out of it. And the Amalekite now is slain. Remember, they David and his men grieve for the day, and then at the end of the day, David has a young man slay the Amalekite, and. Um, <clears throat> Remember what the question that David asked, how is it that you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Right? He, that is a question that David in his own conscience wrestled with. Right? And he was held back by the grace of God from destroying the Lord's anointed and proclaiming himself king. And yet this Amalekite, who actually didn't kill Saul... Um, but told this story, didn't properly contemplate what it would mean. Now, we remember that that Amalekite is also a sojourner, so he's not just someone who doesn't know what Israel is all about. It was, he was an alien living in the midst of Israel. And so now on, now we come to this, this song, this lament, the, a dirge or a, a poem that, that David writes in his, his grief. Of course, this isn't this isn't uh, uncommon for David to do this. He's a writer of psalms. 
He's a writer of songs and poems, right? And so he's, um, he is using this format to express to himself and, and to, to express his grief, but he's also doing it for what other purpose? What other purpose? And this is a general purpose of music and writing of songs and recitation of songs and repetition of songs. What's the other utility here? To remember. To remember, right? What does the text say? What does the text say? He doesn't just write the song. He commands something about the song. Teach it. Teach it to your sons. Teach it to your children that they may remember the acts of God, and these significant moments in the history of Israel. So, that, so David, is, um, David is grieving himself, but he also wants to commemorate this. And that is the utility of song, right? To commemorate the acts of God. That's, the, that's why it's good to repeat songs, right? That's why it's good to sing Psalm 8 over and over. Is it, it settles in. We contemplate different aspects of the psalms and the songs we sing. Do you think about the words as you sing them? Do you? Or do you check out? Are you thinking about the tunes and other things? I, I hope, I hope you discipline yourself to be thinking about what you're saying. Really think about what you sing when you're singing because you're making a prayer before God Almighty. Right, and if it's if it's uh, if your your mind and your heart are distant and your words are just flapping, well, you've become like Israel, who who had flipped, lips that flapped, but hearts that were far from God. And we want to make sure that that's not the case. If if you can get to get to your seat um, five minutes before we begin and read through the hymn texts, right? Read through them and say, okay, we're going to be expressing this about God. And what does that mean uh, for me? How does that bring me to conviction over the past week's sins? How does that fill me with joy? Sit down and prepare yourself for worship by studying the prayers that we're going to lift before God. Because music is prayer, right? Music and, and ver- is just, uh, it's gilding the lily of prayer. It's pretty prayers. And so do that work. Um, do not let any part of our worship services be superfluous. It is engagement with God Almighty. Do the work, right? Children, it might be that you're old enough to stop drawing pictures and paying attention to the Word of God preached and to the prayers and to... Now, some of you are young enough, and I don't mind you drawing pictures of things you hear in the sermon. But... but Get engaged with, come outside of yourself and worship God, okay? That's all extra. That wasn't even a part of my sermon. But, it, but it's important here. David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan here. This word chanted is more of a, it's lamented. He, he's pouring out his heart. He is sad. He is, um, he is sore afflicted. Right? This is a term of action. It's not a musical direction. He, he lamented a lament. Right? He lamented a lament. He, he poured out his soul. Lament, 
as we know, is a song of mourning, a cry of a mournful heart to God. And why do we cry out to God? Because God is the only source of comfort, the only source of non-temporary comfort, right? And so that's why we pour out our hearts to God. The lament is for whom? Who is this lament for? Not a trick question. I just want somebody to say it. Saul and Jonathan. Okay? Saul and Jonathan. So it's not just for Jonathan, who was, who was his right-hand man, uh, David's right-hand man, but also for Saul. And what's the problem with that? Well, Saul was a, was a thorn in the side of David his entire time. He was murderously violent toward him. He, he used the resources of the kingdom to afflict David. David was exiled from Israel because of Saul. And here now is David lamenting Saul in song. Uh, Also, note that the lament is taught to the sons of Israel. It's called the Song of the Bow, we believe, the Song of the Bow. And the bow had significance, especially for Jonathan. You remember the times that the bow, I mean, he was a bowman, but remember when he indicated to David whether or not Saul was happy with him, and he shot the bow. And um, and so there's some connection here to, to Jonathan, but... They're, they're taught this song in order to commemorate the acts of God in song. It's for remembrance. It's for memorialization. Uh, same for us. This is why I think it's important to sing the psalms which commemorate God's acts um, and are inspired. Right? Um, a lament. Writing down a lament is quite strange because this is very specific, isn't it? This is very specific to the death of two particular men. But here it's written down, and it's like formalized, repeated grief. He wanted Israel to remember grief. He wanted Israel to remember the falling of mighty ones. right? And that's a good thing to remember. It's a good thing to remember, one, because it leads to humility. The mighty have fallen. And the mighty of every nation fall. Right? Every man comes to an end. His reign comes to an end. But, he, but writing it down and teaching it is like formalized, repeatable grief. Um, now, it's called the Song of the Bow, verse 22. The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, we read in, in verse 22. Um, the... Um, What is, it says the, um, it says that it's the song of the bow, behold, is written in the book of Jasher. Who can tell me what the book of Jasher is? Any thoughts on that? Is it in your Bibles? Don't think so. <laughs> That's what I would have said. I don't think so. Um, no, it's not. It's, um, the only other reference to it is like Josh in Joshua. 10.13, I think it's in 10.13, it says, So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So that's the only other reference to this, and perhaps, uh, perhaps it's a collection of war songs, or perhaps it's a collection of laments that relate to the leadership of Israel. 
some historical, um, historical book. It's lost now. We don't have it. It's, um, it's lost to us. And yet here we have um, this fragment of it in, our, in 2 Samuel, which is wonderful. So let's go through what he says here. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? The word here that's translated your beauty is the word for glory, but it's not kabod, the, the normal word that we think of weightiness and glory. It's sibi, uh, which can also mean gazelle. Right? Glory like, like that of a gazelle. Jonathan... Uh, Jonathan is is called a or is um, let me see Second Samuel two eighteen in the next chapter. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there: Joab, Abishai, and Asiel. And Asahel was as swift footed as one of the gazelles which is in the field. So there's that's um, the same word that's used here that's translated beauty. And I think it's it's. Um, it's speaking of a fleet-footed warrior, right? It's speaking of Jonathan in battle, and perhaps even Saul in battle. These fleet-footed warriors that were good at their task. And so the glory, though, of Israel is slain on the high places. Think of the, the sadness of that. The gazelle, the one, the one who could fight in a fleet-footed manner, is fallen. The warrior has fallen. The gladiator is dead, right? The, the, um, the general has, uh, has fallen and is, is dead on the battlefield. The mighty have fallen. Remember, uh, recall Hannah's prayer. That started everything, right? Back in 2 Samuel 1 um, with Samuel and his birth. But remember Hannah's song of prayer, or song. She, she says in... Um, where is it? It's uh, six, and, 6 through 8. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Right? And so... The rise and fall of all rulers, all mighty men, while God rules over them all, is what Hannah is singing about. And here we have an example of that. Uh, the king of kings doesn't fall. He's the one mighty warrior that never falls. The king of kings. right? He will finish the battle and he will win the victory. And then verse 20. Tell it not in Gath and proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Where are those two cities? Philistia. Why doesn't, why doesn't he want this told in those, those cities? No one's talking tonight. It's frustrating. What's that? Yeah, they're in battle with the Philistines. That's who. That's who killed. That's who killed Jonathan and um, and Saul. And so, and you remember what happened to Saul? That they fastened his bodies to the wall of the city, or his body. And so, uh, he he doesn't want he doesn't want them to even know about it. He does not want to hear their boasts. He doesn't want to hear them speak ill. Not even of Saul. 
right? And certainly not of Jonathan. The reaction will not be appropriate. It will not honor God. And that is always what David has in mind. What will honor God? What will honor God? In fact, we see that in him simply lamenting for Jonathan, or for Saul. But he doesn't want the Philistines to boast. Verse 21, O mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain be on you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. It's on the mountain of Gilboa that Saul and his sons fell. And, and it's as if David is even calling on nature to commemorate the event. Don't let the rains fall there, right? And it's also just a way of pronouncing curses on Gilboa, right? It, don't, don't let anything good go on there. Don't even let crops grow for offerings. Um, it is a cursed place. It speaks of Saul's shield. And shields back in the day were made with leather, Right? And if you didn't anoint a shield with oil, they cracked and became useless. The, the leather becomes brittle. Just like a baseball glove, if you don't oil it up every once in a while, it becomes brittle and cracks. And so now the, 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 um, it's an image of, the, of Saul fallen and his sword being covered in, in muck and mire and dirt. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. So we, we get a, we're, we're, being, we're getting the acts of Saul and Jonathan recalled to us. And then verse 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Now, what do we make of this? Was Saul pleasant to David in their life? Sometimes. Not often. Not primarily. Right? Was Saul... So, so what's going on here? What, it, what's, what gives? Why is David lying? Why is David lying? in this memorialization of Saul. Certainly that applies for Jonathan, but, but um, Saul, um, this is like when you go to a funeral and you know a man who's lived a profligate life and everybody gets up there and tells you how good he was, right? And how much faith he had and how he's, he's blessed to be in the presence of God and you're sitting there in agony thinking, this is all lies. I mean, funerals filled with lies, are, are the most depressing place to be, right? Is this what Jonathan is doing here? Is he just memorializing and, 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 and um, recasting Saul as a hero? What do you think? He's still honoring God's anointed. That's true. Right, there's, there's a sense in which he's keeping that commandment. Honor your father and mother. He's, he's, uh, he, he will show him honor where he can show honor. Right? Good? Yeah. It's in First Corinthians. Okay. That's 
Yeah, love, love covers a multitude of sins, and, and love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And so that this could be an expression of love. Is there anything political going on here? David, you don't have to answer that. You can just say what you're going to say. Okay, good. Apparently he brought prosperity to Israel, right? There were, there were good things that he provided to the people. But David is now coming into a, a kingdom that's divided, right? He and his men are off in Philistia, and the rest of Israel is, is in Israel. And he has the task now to bring everybody back together, to make this division end. If he wanted to prolong it, he could have written a diatribe against Saul. Right, which would have made the divisions go. Was it easy? What would, what would have been easier for David to denounce Saul or to honor him? I imagine it was very difficult for him to honor Saul, given given the last three or four years, right, of fleeing him. Okay. True. He does say, though, that he was pleasant. Maybe, maybe, yeah, that could be. That could be. Not that Jonathan aesthetically looks at other men, or David, uh, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we. I think what we see going on here is David's conscience just as active as when he was in the presence of Saul and cut off a robe and then repented of that. He still respects Saul as the one whom God called to be king. Right? He respects God because God is the one who chose Saul to set over Israel. Right? And so, so I think David is, is carrying that on. Certainly... The rest of the acts of Saul are commemorated in Scripture. It's not like these are hidden to us. It's not like the rivalry between the two is hidden. It's all written down there. But here, David wants the children of Israel to learn a song where the father is honored, even though his sins might have been many. Right? Saul, beloved and pleasant in his life. Saul brought about prosperity in verse 24. 25, we turn and focus and end this psalm on, on David. Focuses on Jonathan. He's fallen in battle, slain on the high place, uh, pleasant to David. And then we get that statement, love, his love to me was more wonderful than the love of women, which speaks both to the to the glory of the love of women for men and also of the, um, the different glory of the love of men for men, right? Of the, the uh, intensity of friendship, true friendship. Um, David has lost 
his friend. David has lost his, politically, his, his strongest ally, a covenanted ally. David has, uh, has lost uh, so much here. And um, Matthew Henry says he had reason to say that Jonathan's love to him was wonderful. Surely never was the like for a man to love one who he knew was to take the crown over his head and to be so faithful to his rival. This far surpassed the highest degree of conjugal affection and constancy. So, so Matthew Henry is saying that Jonathan's love was indeed intense because he was loyal to him. He was loyal to him, right? David, Saul... Uh, Jonathan was the next in line to the king, and yet he pledged loyalty to David. And if you don't think that that meant much to David, it's that, the, the intensity of that is encapsulated in this statement, his love to me was better than the love of women. He's speaking of fidelity. He's speaking of, of seeing Jonathan do what was so costly and selfless to himself, but so honoring to God, which was to, to be... Uh, to be in league with David and not with Saul because, because Saul had rejected God. To be in league with Saul was to be against God. To be in league with David was to be a following one who had a heart um, as God's. So the mighty have fallen. Just, just a few thoughts. That's where it closes. How have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Um, of course, one hasn't fallen, and that's David. Uh, Saul slain, had, had slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And now, now David's task is to bring together the kingdom. Of course, we know what ha- lies ahead in Second Samuel, right? We know that David is not without his own sins. And yet, what he does is coalesce the kingdom, bring order to the kingdom, bring order to the worship of Israel, um, is used by God and then becomes a pattern for and is a is a type of of savior right um, this throne of david the 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 kingdom of David so a few few uh, applications coming out of this david's godliness in this lament mimics jesus own lament on the cross right his enemies, Jesus' enemies, are killing him. And yet he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so there, there's a parallel here. Saul f- falls in the field, and the one who, even the Amalekite, comes to Saul and says, look, he's dead, and thinking that David's going to give him position and, and honor. And yet David is, is so scandalized by the news that he slays that man, and then writes a lament for Saul. And this is the same sort of heart that we see in our Savior. Blaspheming men and women that he had created were crucifying him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We would be like the apostles who wanted to call down fire from heaven, right? And Jesus had, how many legions of angels did he have at his his command? But he did not call on them. He just... Prayed to his father that they might be forgiven. That's hard. 
Isn't that hard to contemplate? Isn't that hard in, in the way that you, you and I always seem to, to want to take vengeance against our enemies? How it's so hard to pray for the souls of those who are against us. The ability to move beyond personal hurts. Right? Do you have the ability to, re- to remove yourself or to move beyond personal hurts? Think of all of Saul's behavior. That, that's godliness. Do you have that ability to forgive those who have sinned against you? To lament even the death of your enemies? Can you, can you lament even the death of your enemies? Can you lament the death of a father who abused you? Right? Is there not something tragic about the death of even the wicked that causes us to want to, that should cause us to want to lighten our words? Knowing that God is the final judge of all men, it should cause us to want to lighten our words um, against them. Why teach a song about defeat? Realize that this song is about defeat. Right? They lost. The, the mighty are slain. Why would you teach a song about defeat? Do we sing songs about defeats? No, not usually, right? We sing songs, unless you're a postmodern hater of everything, right? Then everything's a song of defeat. Um, you're defeated that God made you male or female. But, but we sing about battles won. Here, Israel is commemorating a battle lost. Of course, we do put up, we do put up memorials for those slain in battle. We do put up memorials, uh, beautiful memorials, so that we remember defeats. And uh, here's David doing that same thing. But why teach a song about defeat? Why is it important to teach a song about defeat? What if all of your songs are only about victory? You don't learn history, that's true. Okay. Yeah, some trust in chariots and horses, but we'll trust in the Lord. It it reminds you that you, you you're dependent on God. What victory you get is is from the Lord, what defeats you get come from the Lord as well. Um, if not your own sin. And so yeah, it it, it develops um, dependence on God. What else? Why commemorate defeat? Yeah, it leads to humility. You don't get puffed up. You realize that, but for the grace of God, you go the same way. And um, yeah, it leads to humility. Good. Determination. Determination, motivation, right? It'll motivate you, right? Commemorate a defeat, and uh, it motivates you to, uh, to avoid the situation, to avoid the errors of, and sins of Saul and the tragic, tragic consequences of the sins of in, in his family. And so it motivates you. Bad examples become motivation for good behavior. Uh, what else? It acts as a warning, right? Commemorating defeats warns. 
It warns, um, it warns to humility, but it warns the young to remember that you may not, you may not prosper if you only, only look to your own strength for victory. You must look to the Lord. Um, one of the commentaries said, Don't hesitate to carry on your mind the sufferings of God's people. There are, there are sufferings of God's people everywhere right now. And it's good to carry those defeats and those disciplines of God around in our minds. Uh, the, the, um, certainly it will lead us to prayer, uh, but, but more than that, it teaches us about God's sovereignty and teaches us about humility. Uh, Matthew Henry, the last thing I'll share is this. He said, the more we love, the more we grieve. Right? The more we love, and that's the case with Jonathan here with David. He, he grieves deeply, certainly at the loss of his friend. But nonetheless, he grieves for Saul. And that's right and proper for him to grieve an enemy, but also to grieve a very close friend, the closest friend, closest ally, closest um, loyal warrior that he had in his kingdom. Any other thoughts on this passage or applications that struck you as we read through this and thought through it? Anything else? All right. Okay, go ahead. And that's the chorus, right? How have the mighty fallen? It's, it's, it, his mind is boggled by the loss of, of these men that had been such a, a fixture of Israel. And we, you know, we, I've had the same sense at times. Um, you know, someone significant is murdered or somebody significant is, is, um, is incapacitated somehow. And it's just, it's like, wow, how do we carry on? You know, a president lose, dies or something along those lines. President Kennedy, and you're, you're like, how do, how do we, you know, the mighty have fallen. And it's a scary thing for a nation when, when the mighty fall. Um, but nonetheless, our trust is in the Lord. Mighty, every mighty man falls in battle eventually. Certainly the battle against his body and his flesh. Yeah, back in the back. That's right. Yeah, not not here in the lament is he uh, calling for uh, his men to to go wipe out all of uh, Saul's men, and so I think there's a very strong political element in all of this. And that's not to say it's it's wrong. It's right. David is to be king over Israel. He wants the people to be unified under his command, under his uh, anointed command. Yeah, uh, Esther. That was last Sunday's sermon. Why did? Because he stretched out his hand against the Lord's anointed. At least he said he did. And David took him at his word. And so he was punished for, for shedding blood. Right? Anything else? Now we're into David, right? Saul, 
Our thoughts, Saul is going to recede into the past, although there's going to be ongoing consequences. But now, 2 Samuel is all about David. And uh, to study David is, is almost as fun as studying Saul. So, um, so uh, you know, look ahead. Read through this book and, and mark questions in the, in the margins. And as we come to them, we'll see if they're answered. But let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for reminders of what's good and true and right. We thank you for reminders of the graciousness of Jesus. Father, we were enemies, and he died for us. And, and Lord, how many songs have we written to commemorate the death of Jesus? And Father, it's so helpful to us to, to be reminded of where our redemption comes from. It doesn't come from within ourselves. It doesn't come from, from studying uh, and, and academics. It doesn't come from money, but it only comes from your hand and through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit applying it to us. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.